Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart, where twice a week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now we're listening to Dudley Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. Today we'll be doing episode two. If you haven't heard episode one, you're going to want to go back and listen to it. Today, in episode two, we'll be going through chapters three, four, and five. And if you listen carefully, you might hear some dated elements. If you figure out what that is, let me know in the comments below. I'd be curious to see if you notice. Now, if you'd like to follow along or get a bit ahead in the story, you can download the entire ebook of Deadly Valentine free at jennahart.com. And if you can't get enough, make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you never miss the mystery and romance in upcoming episodes. And remember that all the details and links that you might need are click away in the description below. Now, snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chappy. Tess, come on, Tess, wake up. She emerged from the darkness. Her stomach churned, and she had a new ailment, a throbbing at the back of her head. She considered slipping back into the darkness, except that the voice beckoning her wouldn't let her. She searched the recesses of her mind to remember what had happened. That resulted in her being sprawled out on the floor. You're killing me, Tess. Wake up, sweetheart. It didn't make sense, but she could swear that the voice talking to her and the hand tapping her cheek belonged to Jack Valentine. Wouldn't that be something? He made a sound of frustration. Then she felt a pinch. Ouch! Her eyes shot open and she tried to escape from his hold. It's okay, I've got you. You're safe now. He enfolded her in his arms despite her attempt to get away. You pinched me! She rubbed the sore spot on her arm. You wouldn't wake up. Would you rather I poured water on you? I'd rather you leave me alone. God, Tess, I thought you were dead, dead. She reached up to touch what she thought would be a giant bump on the back of her head. What happened? She sniffed the air, smelling smoke. I was going to ask you the same thing. I found you passed out on the floor and Asa... Oh God, Asa! She clutched at Jack's arms as the memory of Asa and blood flooded back. I know. Are you okay? Who attacked you? Uh, uh I must have fainted and hit my head. You weren't attacked? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? His voice was angry, even as his eyes still looked terrified. I was passed out. She tried again to disengage from his arms. I accidentally walked into Asa's office. I saw him slumped over his desk, and then everything went black. Jack pulled her back to him. I can't tell you what it did to me to find you like that. She got the distinct feeling that Jack's need to hold her wasn't so much for her comfort, but for his. Very odd. Is he dead? She asked. Yes. The smell of lingering smoke reminded her of the fire. What about the fire? It was nearly out when I got here. Where is everyone? I don't know. She thought he was releasing her, but he simply adjusted and picked her up. What are you doing? He gave her a what-does-it-look-like-I'm-doing stare. I'm okay, I can walk. You're ill and just fainted. Indulge me and let me get you back to the other room. He was nearly a foot taller than her, so his long strides had him back in the next room quickly. He put her on the daybed and sat on the edge looking down on her. She couldn't tell what was going through his mind, but whatever it was, it was stormy. He gave a shake of his head, then reached to his side, pulling his cell phone out of his pocket. I'll call 911. I'll call. She reached for his phone. Someone needs to find and warn the others. I'm not leaving you. You need to keep them away so the evidence doesn't get contaminated. No, I'll call. You rest. 
I don't think I'll survive if you faint again. He tugged on the phone. She tugged back. Jack, I can make a phone call. You warn the others. They shouldn't see him like that. It's possible, even likely, based on all the animosity in this family, that whoever killed Asa is still in the house. I'm not comfortable leaving you here by yourself. He had a point, still. If the murderer wanted to kill me, he had plenty of opportunity while I was resting here, or even while I was passed out on Asa's floor. She could see he was grappling with her argument. I'll be fine, and it shouldn't take you long. He gave a reluctant nod. Call me if you need anything. Okay. I mean it, Tess. I know you aren't thrilled to see me again, but I don't care how mad you are, you call me. I will. Yet he still lingered. Frustration mixed with something else darkened his eyes. In a single move, he leaned in and kissed her quickly, but firmly. Thank God you're okay. Then as quick as the kiss, he was out the door. Tess lay for a moment trying to figure out what had just happened. Then she remembered she needed to call the police. Picking up the phone that had fallen from her grip when Jack's lips were on hers, she dialed 911. Tess, are you all right? Daniel dropped to his knees in front of her. She was still on the daybed, but managed to sit upright. Jack had already returned to the room, and after assuring her that Tom was taking care of the family, he continued to fuss over her until the police arrived. She could hear them in Asa's office starting the process of surveying the scene and collecting evidence. Another officer was taking statements from the others, but had yet to get to her and Jack. Initially, they'd wanted her and Jack to move to the parlor, but Jack convinced them that she was sick, which wasn't hard to do when she finally made use of the waste paper basket. Daniel rushed in shortly after the officer, looking a bit green himself, left her to her heaving. I'm not hurt. She took his hands. I'm so sorry, Daniel, about Asa. She could see the struggle in him, the professional versus the personal. It's hard to believe. He was larger than life. He said. I was told you found him. What happened? I was trying to get back to the foyer and instead ended up in his office. I saw him and the blood. Were you attacked? His hands gripped hers as his eyes inventoried her body for signs of injury. No. Thank goodness. Relief was evident in his tone. Your mom, has anyone told her yet? Not yet. Dad wants to tell her in person when he gets home. Otherwise, she'll want to come here and with the weather. If there is anything I can do, let me know. He nodded. He was a difficult man, but I know his loss will be hard on both of them. Here's some water. Jack reached over Daniel with the glass. Thank you. Tess took a tentative sip. Are you sure you're okay? You don't look good. Daniel said. It's nothing 24 hours and a good night's sleep won't cure. Daniel's brows furrowed in confusion. She's sick. Jack clarified in a tone that suggested Daniel was one card short of a full deck. Why didn't you tell me? Daniel kept his attention on Tess. You weren't here. You could have called. Tess let out an exasperated breath. You were working. He gave her pained expression. What about Dad? Asa would have never let him leave. Besides, the weather was bad. I offered to take her home, Jack said. After giving Tess her water, he'd taken a seat in a wing-back chair across from the daybed. His body language suggested he was relaxed, but his eyes scrutinized Daniel. I'm okay. I just want to get home. Who's going to take my statement? The ill woman in her wanted comfort in her bed, while the lawyer in her knew she needed to stay to give my statement. 
Under the circumstances, couldn't you question her tomorrow? Jack asked. Daniel looked over his shoulder at Jack. After a moment, he stood and turned. And you are? Jack Valentine. Jack remained seated. He didn't extend his hand. Neither did Daniel. What was your business here tonight? Daniel, you're not on this case, are you? Tess asked. He turned to Tess. I'm a detective. Why wouldn't I be? Because Asa is, was your uncle. Tess's mind filled with all the ethical issues Daniel's involvement could create. I'm here now and I'll do my job. Talbert will decide who will lead the case tomorrow. Regardless, Tess, I can do the job. I'm not questioning whether you can do the job. Just how it will look. He gave a small laugh. Still a lawyer even when you're sick and traumatized. Like most lawyer comments, its tone wasn't complimentary. You know as well as I do that this is going to be big, and something like a conflict of interest can cause problems at trial. There are plenty of people here who aren't related to Asa. I think we'll be all right. He turned back to Jack. So, what was your business here? Are you taking my statement or interrogating me? Jack asked. Tess watched the two men, posturing, circling, waiting. It was just a question. Asa invited me. For what reason? Jack shrugged. We didn't get that far. You came to a business dinner without knowing the business. If I understand correctly, you were invited to the same dinner. Did he tell you? Daniel studied Jack as if he had some sort of X-ray lie detector vision. Can you tell me when you last saw Asa alive? It was Jack's turn to study and assess. I saw him in his office. When was that? After dinner. What was his demeanor? Jack sighed. Smug as usual. What did you talk about? I wanted to know what he was up to. Up to? Tess winced. She wondered if she should offer to be Jack's lawyer. While an oppositional attitude wasn't evidence, it certainly made the police take notice. Then again, what did she know? Jack could be the killer. He had been as annoyed as anyone at Asa. Except if Jack was the same as she remembered, it was more likely he'd have left the party than kill Asa. Not that he couldn't be confrontational, but Jack picked his battles. If it wasn't important enough to him, he didn't bother. He was curious about Asa's actions, but Tess got the feeling he was annoyed and ready to be done with Asa. In fact, she'd bet the only reason he hadn't left before dinner was because of her. I wanted to know his big announcement. Surely you were curious too. But wasn't he getting ready to make his grand announcement? Daniel asked. Who knows? We'd been waiting all night. I thought he'd make it during drinks, then dinner. For all I knew, he was going to turn this into a sleepover. Would you have stayed? No. Why not? By your own admission, you let Asa jerk your chain all night. Because I didn't care that much. Then why did you stay as long as you did? Jack looked at Tess. I wanted to get reacquainted with an old friend. Daniel followed Jack's gaze to Tess and then turned back to Jack. You know Miss Madison? Yes, I know her well. There was no mistaking his suggestive tone. She would have rolled her eyes if the movement wouldn't have made her nauseous. Daniel was unable to hide his surprise as he looked to Tess for confirmation. I knew Jack when I lived in Washington. That's all Daniel needed to know for now. I see. Daniel turned his attention back to Jack. So, after your talk with Asa, what happened? I looked in on Tess. She was still resting. Looked in on Tess? She wasn't feeling well, and since she was stranded, she came in here to rest. She was still resting after I talked with Asa, so I went to the front room to wait for the others. Front room? 
That room at the front of the house, with the bar. The parlor? It was Jack's turn to roll his eyes. Parlor, right. Was anyone else in the parlor room? Jack shook his head. No, I got a drink and waited. Did you hear anything unusual while waiting? No. Then what happened? The butler came in and let me know that Tess was awake. So I went to her. She wasn't in here. The door was open to Ace's office, so I looked in there. First I saw him. Then I saw Tess on the floor. On the floor? I thought you said you weren't attacked. Daniel whirled around to Tess. I wasn't. I don't think... Daniel gave her a concerned look. I don't think she was either. Jack offered. Jack effectively drew Daniel and his suspicion back to him. What did you do then? I went to her. What about Asa? I checked Tess first. She was breathing and there was no blood, so I checked on Asa. He was dead. When did you call 911? Tess called 911. So you waited? I was more concerned with helping her. I was going to call, but she insisted that I find the others and warn them. You left her alone with the possibility of a murderer in the house. Daniel's tone held judgment. Jack's eyes darkened. Yeah, I did. I told him to, Tess said. Jack hadn't asked for her help, but since she knew how Jack's behavior could be construed, she felt she should interject. Daniel didn't look convinced. I wanted to preserve the scene, she added. If they found him like that, they might have destroyed evidence. Always the lawyer. Daniel said. She gaped and was ready to remind him that a contaminated scene was bad for the investigation, but a uniformed officer poked his head into the room. Sir, the coroner is ready to move the body. Detective Collier wanted me to let you know. Any idea of the cause of death? Daniel asked. He's got a pretty big dent in his head. Tess winced at the officer's choice of words, but Daniel, in work mode, didn't seem to notice. Any sign of the weapon? A metal statue. It looks like an award. Prince? Lots. They're probably from the staff, but we'll run them all. What about blood? Tess couldn't imagine a blunt force blow to the head could cause that much blood. I'm not a medical examiner. The officer said. But there wasn't much blood from the hit to the head. What's it from? Daniel asked. Broken glass. It looks like the momentum from the blow forced his head down on his drink, breaking the glass and cutting his neck. Tess winced and swallowed as the image of Asa having his throat cut on his own drink caused her stomach to pitch. What about the fire? Jack asked. Fire? Daniel turned to Jack. There was a fire in his trash when I found him, Tess said. It's unclear if Mr. Worthington or the killer started the fire, the officer said. Daniel was quiet for a moment, processing all the information. Tell Sam to hold off on taking the body until I can have a look. Yes, sir. Daniel, are you sure you want to do that? Tess asked. I know what I'm doing. He glared at her. I know. It's just, he's your uncle. Do you really want to see him like that? A range of emotions crossed over Daniel's face. Tess realized that while Asa was part of Daniel's family, he hadn't been an easy man to love. Although she'd never been told the details, she knew that Daniel's relationship with him was as strained as everyone else's. For that reason, he'd be able to look on Asa not as a lost family member, but another case to be solved. She understood how insensitive it would appear if he articulated his thoughts, so she decided not to press him. Daniel turned back to Jack. I'll have more questions for you. I'd like to take Tess home. I can return. No one is leaving now. Daniel turned to Tess, dropping to one knee in front of her and taking her hands in his. I'm sorry, sweetheart. 
No one can leave yet, as I'm sure you know. She nodded, noting his use of sweetheart toward her. Jack had done the same. We need to search this room as well, so I'll need you move to the parlor with the others. Once I'm done with Asa, I'll come take your statement, and then I'll take you home. She nodded again. Daniel rose and started towards Asa's office. Jack made a move to lift her. I can walk. She batted his arms away. Shut up, Tess. Jack slipped his arms under her and lifted her. Do you need to go to the hospital? Worry mixed with annoyance shone in Daniel's gray eyes. No, I need to go home. Jack held her tight, tighter than was necessary as he turned towards Daniel. She should probably have someone check her head. She's got a pretty good bump from when she fainted. Fainted? Daniel moved towards them again. Why else do you think she was on the floor? Jack's tone sounded like he was saying, duh. I don't need a hospital. Tess wasn't sure that was true. She felt nauseous, which could be indicative of a head injury. Then again, she'd felt that way all night before hitting her head. But right now, her head didn't hurt as much as her stomach roiled. She feared she might be sick again. All over Jack, it would serve him right. The paramedics are still here. They've already checked me. She glared at Jack. Can you put me down? I'll put you down when we get to the other room. Jack looked at Daniel, who nodded. Jack carried her across the foyer, stopping outside the parlor door. This is not how I imagined our meeting again would be. I didn't expect we'd ever meet again. The flash of pain in his face told her that her confession hurt him. She couldn't blame him. It sounded unkind, even though it was true. Our meeting again was inevitable. The certainty of it shone in the depths of his blue-green eyes. She couldn't decide if it thrilled or terrified her. Chapor. What's going on? Has Daniel told you anything? Philip demanded as Jack carried Tess into the parlor and placed her on the couch. He shifted her body so she could lie down, but Tess was determined to maintain some dignity. I'll sit. She thought he was going to argue, but instead he nodded and sat next to her. Looking to Philip, she said, It's too early to know anything. Leave it to Asa. He can't even die without completely inconveniencing everyone. Shelby said with disgust. Shelby! Philip hissed. What? Who would do such a thing? The senator asked from behind the bar. All eyes were wide as they looked over at him. He gave a short laugh. I guess there was no shortage of people who wanted Asa dead, but Jesus, in a house full of people? His family? Each person in the room looked to everyone else, no doubt wondering which one of them was a murderer. The chill that ran up Tess's spine had nothing to do with having the flu. Sir. Walter entered the room with a tray. tray. I took the liberty of having Agnes make coffee. Very good. Thank you, Walter. There was a distinct difference in how the senator treated Walter from the way Asa had. Not that the senator was buddies with Walter, but there was a reserved respect. Jack declined the coffee Walter offered, but accepted the whiskey being served by the senator. With whiskey in hand, he set a pillow against his side and motioned for Tess to rest against it. Tess, too tired and weary to resist, settled against him. The room was dim, with the blaze of the fire providing the most light. It could have been romantic. Well, no. Not with Jack, it wouldn't be. They'll go after me, Philip lamented. He stood by the fire, one arm resting on the mantel, the other with the poker he haphazardly cut through the flames. Of the most to gain, Shelby let out a snort. You don't have the balls. Everyone knows that. Philip glanced over his shoulder at his wife. But you do? 
She laughed at that as she dumped fake sugar in her coffee. Yes, but I didn't kill Asa and you didn't either. We were together when it happened. Jack's body jerked as he coughed. He leaned forward, holding his glass out to prevent the contents from spilling on her. Wrong pipe? Tess asked. Sir? An elderly woman appeared in the doorway of the drawing room. Yes, Agnes? The senator said. The police asked that Sarah and I wait in here. Yes, of course. Have a seat, Walter. You too. Take a break. Walter nodded and went to sit next to Agnes and Sarah. Although they weren't serving at the moment, there was no denying what they were. They were dressed in black uniforms that made Tess think of an old 1930s movie. Tess knew from Daniel that Agnes had been with the family her entire life, as her mother and father had both worked for the senator's parents. Agnes was about the same age as the senator who had just turned 80, although he wore his age better than she did. She was a small woman with gray hair pulled back into a bun and a thin, gaunt face. She looked like at any moment she would crumble into a heap of bones. Walter fared only slightly better. Tess knew that he'd been with the family since he was a child as well, because his father had worked for the senator until his parents' death when Walter was a teenager. The senator had taken him in, offering him work and a place to live. Walter had worked as a bodyguard and chauffeur until the last ten years when age had begun to slow him down. He now spent nearly all his time overseeing the home. Sarah was the anomaly of the bunch. She couldn't be much over twenty years old. Tess wondered how a young, pretty woman growing up in the twenty-first century would end up working as a servant. It wasn't something most children aspired to do, while Walter and Agnes clearly knew their place and sat quietly with their heads drawn down. Sarah stared across the room with a look of yearning at Philip. Tess looked at Philip, catching him give Sarah a brief, reassuring smile. Shelby was too busy checking her manicure to notice the exchange. Having grown up with servants, Tess knew they lived in a world in which they were seen and heard only when summoned. When she worked at the public defender's office, she once had a case involving a servant accused of stealing jewelry from the mistress of the mansion. While the police and insurance companies had interviewed all the family members, Tess started with the servants. They were uniquely qualified to offer information since they were able to move through the house unnoticed, and yet saw and heard everything. In a rich family's home, one didn't need the walls to talk. He needed the servants to talk. Sure enough, the jewels had been stolen by the drug-addicted nephew. As Tess watched Walter, Agnes, and Sarah, she wondered what they had seen or heard. What stories could they tell? Maybe Mr. Valentine did it, Shelby said. Jack apparently didn't feel the need to comment as he didn't say a word. He would have the least reason of all of us, except maybe Tess. Philip shook his head in annoyance at his wife. Shelby turned her baby blues to Jack. You were getting pretty hot under the collar at Asa. I heard the back door was open, Philip said. Is that true? Tess nodded. It was open when I found him. How convenient. There was no mistaking the accusation in Shelby's tone. The police usually suspect the ones who find the body too, or... She turned her attention back to Philip. Maybe it was Lauren. She wasn't even here. Philip added an eye roll to his head shake. Did you see her face when Asa threatened to throw her out? If looks could kill, he'd have been dead then, and the door was open. She could have snuck in. For God's sake, Shelby, this isn't a game of Clue. Asa is dead. Show a little respect. Shelby's eyes widened at the senator's lashing tone, but she didn't respond. Instead, she sulked back in her chair. 
It's probably best if we don't talk about it anyway, Tess said. That way we only report what we experienced and not what we heard from someone else. Tess looked up at Jack, who was unusually quiet. He gave her a faint smile before he turned his gaze back on Shelby. Tess couldn't blame him, really. Shelby was a stunning woman, especially if she kept her mouth shut. But as Tess watched Jack, she didn't see desire in his eyes. It was more like suspicion. Tess wanted to ask about it, but Sam Collier, Daniel's partner, called her to take her statement. She managed to meet him in the foyer without Jack carrying her. When she finished telling him her version of the night's events, Sam helped her back to the parlor and called for Jack. Back on the couch, Tess could feel her reserves draining. She was able to resist lying down, but she set a pillow on the arm of the couch to rest her head. When her eyes opened, Tess thought she'd been out only a few minutes. Lifting her head, she discovered the room was empty, except for the chair across from her where Jack sat staring into the embers of a nearly dead fire. Where is everyone? They were given permission to retire. He turned to look at her then. We were offered a guest room, but I made an executive decision to decline that offer. She nodded in agreement. She didn't want to spend the night in the house of murder either. In fact, she'd had enough of the house and whole situation. If only she'd declined Daniel's invitation, she wouldn't be in this situation. I've got to get out of here. I'd offer to take you home, but your obvious resistance to my earlier offers. I'm not feeling resistant now. He stared at her for a moment and she wondered if he was going to refuse. Let's go then. We need to clear it with... The hell with the police. It's nearly two in the morning, Tess. He extended a hand to help her up. I think we've done enough. Can you walk? She nodded. They'd likely get stopped on the way out, but she was willing to attempt an escape. They made it to the front door before Daniel stopped them. Leaving? Yes, are you going to shoot me, Dan? Jack asked. I need to go home, Tess said before Daniel could respond. You can find me there if you need me. I'll be there too, Jack said. Tess shot him a look. Jack will be at wherever he's staying while in town. I'm sure he'd be happy to give you the address. Daniel's eyes bounced between the two of them. Tess gave him her most pitiful look, which wasn't hard considering how she felt. You're free to go. You've been free to go for some time. Why hadn't anyone woke her up to tell her that, Tess wondered. She could only guess that Daniel was expecting to give her a ride, but had to wait until he was done with the family. Jack probably determined she would rather stay in a house of horrors than accept a ride from him. Her reluctance to spend time with him was strong, but not that strong. I'll check on you tomorrow, Daniel said. He leaned to kiss her on the cheek, but missed when Jack's hand pressed against her back, nudging her out the door. Let's go, he said. Tess didn't like winter in Virginia, but she had to admit the cool, biting air was refreshing after being cooped up with the Worthingtons. The freezing rain had turned to a cold drizzle, which didn't necessarily mean the roads were safer, but the idea of being home in her own bed made the drive home worth the risk. She let Jack guide her to his car. Not hugging trees anymore? She asked as he opened the door to the expensive-looking sports car. What do you mean? The car. This doesn't look like it runs on corn or whatever. It's 100% electric. You're kidding, she said as she slid into the leather seat. No, I'm still as green as they come. Still saving rubber trees? You'd be surprised how bad rubber bands are for the environment. 
He slid in next to her and put the key in the ignition. Rubber bands take... I believe you. I haven't bought a rubber band since you first told me how bad they were. I'm glad I made an impression. Jack's 100% electric sports car drove nicely. So nicely that she fell asleep and only woke when he lifted her from the car. Whoa, what are you doing? I'm taking you to bed. What? Not to make love. Not tonight, anyway. Tess felt her jaw drop to her chest. He laughed. That's what I love about you, Tess. You're clueless to your own appeal. He shifted her slightly as he slipped her key into the door. She wanted to be annoyed. She was a little bit. But a part of her liked being coddled. Being in Jack's arms brought her back to three years earlier. He hadn't carried her then, but he'd held her when her world crumbled. He promised he'd stay with her, help her. He hadn't been able to keep that promise. Remembering the events following that fateful night reminded Tess why she hadn't wanted to see Jack again. You don't need to carry me around. I'm not that sick. Where's your room? She pointed towards the short hallway that led to one of the two bedrooms in her small home. He carried her in, setting her on the bed. Do you have pajamas or something? Yes, I have pajamas. Not that I'm going to let you put them on me. I'll get them for you. I promise not to look. You can go now. I can take care of myself. She slipped her hand under her pillow to pull out a pair of faded flannel pajamas. There was nothing like flannel to make a man turn and run, she thought. But Jack stood his ground, determined to keep watch over her. Get settled, when I know you're okay. Then you'll leave? She asked. Maybe. He turned his back to her but didn't leave. Tess sighed. She was too tired to argue. Her black dress was cut low enough in the back that she could reach the zipper. She slipped the sleeves from her shoulders and stood to let it drop to the floor. As she reached for her pajama top, she heard a quick hitch of breath. Looking up, she caught Jack's eyes watching her through the reflection of her dresser mirror. Her first thought was that she wanted to poke his eyes out with a stick. But then she was struck by how he was looking at her. A woman could live her whole life and not have a man look at her like that. So her second thought was how glad she was that she wore the black Kareen Gilson bra with matching panties. Despite her attempts to live a modest life, she hadn't been able to give up her love of fine lingerie. Her third thought was that although Jack wasn't a stranger, after three years apart, he wasn't in a position to be allowed to ogle her, even if the awe in his eyes stirred something inside her she'd thought long dead. Their eyes caught and she was pleased that he seemed as off-guard as she was. She was sure he blushed as he gave her a sheepish smile and stepped to the side, effectively cutting off his view of her. Tess finished putting her pajamas on and tossed her clothes on her treadmill, promising herself she'd hang them up in the morning. She slipped under her covers, telling herself that when she had her energy back, she'd get mad at him. For now, she just wanted to rest. Okay, she said as she pulled the covers up to her chin. He turned to her. I suppose I should apologize. She shrugged. But I'm not sorry. He sat on the side of her bed as if he'd done it a hundred times before. It should have annoyed her, but it didn't. Despite the years apart, there was still a connection. What did bother her was the effect his nearness had on her hormones. Apparently, they weren't as dormant as she'd hoped. I'd like to tell you what I'm really thinking, but I don't think you'd appreciate it. How unusual for you to hold your tongue. He grinned. It's difficult. I appreciate your restraint. Are you going now? He frowned. 
Why is it so disturbing for you to see me again? She sighed. That was a topic she didn't want to get into. It's been a long night, seeing Asa like that. She let her words trail off. He nodded. It's been a difficult night, but you were upset about seeing me before that. I have a new life now. You talk like I'm a secret you don't want anyone to know about. Is that why you want me to think you and Deputy Dan are an item? What makes you think we're not? Daniel loves me. That's painfully obvious, poor sap. Jack! She nearly laughed because it was true, but she didn't want to encourage Jack. I care for him, too. That wasn't a lie. She did care for Daniel. He and his parents were like family. They were the only people she connected with at an emotional level. They had been there for her as a teenager, and again three years ago when her life unraveled and she needed a safe place to fall. Maybe, but you aren't in love with him. Why did you want me to think you were? I never said I was. He gave her a chastising look. You didn't correct me when I asked. Why is that? What could she say? Because I didn't want you to think I'm available? He hadn't cared when she was available. He would laugh at the idea that she thought maybe his flirtation meant more. That part of my life when we knew each other is over. I've moved on. Moved on? The tone in which he repeated her words let her know she hurt him. She knew he would have been annoyed at her. But hurt? That didn't make sense. He was the one that pushed her away. He studied her with stormy eyes. I've missed you. He said it so softly, his eyes shining with sincerity. She closed her eyes as his confession sent a mixture of pain and guilt. She thought she'd blocked out all memories of her old life. But seeing him again, his affable smile and gorgeous eyes made her realize that she had missed him too. But she couldn't tell him that, which only increased her guilt. Well, you may have moved on, Tess, but I haven't. His words clipped out in frustration. I've waited for this day for three years. Why? Tess had only wanted to think the question but wasn't able to prevent it from escaping into the open. Did I really mean so little to you? No. You meant something to me, Tess. You always have. She began to wonder if she was sleeping, or worse, hallucinating. The interlude between her and Jack was just the type of thing she'd have dreamt, but would never have imagined to happen in real life. The reality was that she hadn't meant enough to him. His behavior now made no sense. He leaned back and gave her a crooked smile. You look like a deer with your eyes caught in the headlights. That's how she felt. Now isn't the time for this discussion. You need to rest. We'll talk when you feel better. Tess was pretty sure she didn't want to have the conversation ever. But since it sounded like he was about to leave, she let it go. Is there anything you need? I can get you some pain reliever or something? No, thank you. I just want to sleep. He nodded but didn't move. I'll be on the couch if you need anything. She started to protest, but the look in his eyes told her it would be moot. There's a blanket in the hall closet. He grinned, pleased that she'd surrendered the battle. This time she saw the kiss coming and put a hand on his chest to stop him. He took her hand and brought it to his lips. The loop, the loop it caused in her stomach had nothing to do with the flu. See you tomorrow. Chapter 5 Jack shut the door to Tess's room holding the knob to quiet the latch as it clicked shut. He listened through the door for movement. It would be just like to her to get up and try to make him leave after all. If she did, she'd be disappointed. He wasn't going anywhere, 
Not now, not ever, if he could help it. Still, he hoped she would get up and check just to give him an excuse to sit with her. He'd always planned to see her again, although he'd been surprised to find her standing in Asa Worthington's foyer. It was a strange stroke of luck that had him running into her tonight. He'd had enough of Asa and was heading out the door when he saw her primping in the mirror. In some ways, it was surprising they hadn't run into each other sooner, since he'd bought a home and spent more time in Jefferson Tavern. But he was glad he hadn't. For too long, timing had been an issue for them. But now he was ready. His life was back on track after three years of misery and self-destructive behavior, and there didn't seem to be anyone in her life, at least not anyone she considered to be in her life. Guided by the streetlight shining through the large panel window in the living room, Jack made his way up the hall. He took time to look at the home she made for herself. It was a lot like her. Neat, tidy, and classic. And yet something was missing. She had all the requisite furniture, an overstuffed couch flanked by an oak side table. Next to that, a chair. She'd indulged in a stuffed chaise lounge that sat next to a built-in bookcase surrounding a brick fireplace. But there were no pictures, no knickknacks. It reminded him of a spec house, not a home. Where was her stuff? He told himself he wasn't snooping by opening the doors that enclosed the lower part of the bookcases, even though he was pretty sure she'd think so. He found a few law books. Boring. He opened the doors on the bookcase on the opposite side of the fireplace. There he found fiction books, mostly mystery by the look of them. He recognized the J.D. Robb books as those his mother had enjoyed. He'd read a couple of them to her during her illness. She had liked them not so much because of the mystery, or that they took place in the future, but because of the characters, particularly the kick-ass cop and her handsome, rich, recently reformed husband. Jack wondered if that was what drew Tess to the books as well. That could work in his favor. He was rich, handsome, and recently reformed as well. Actually, he wondered a lot about her. He'd remembered a beautiful, vivacious woman who'd captivated him from the first moment he'd met her over five years ago. The woman he'd seen tonight was different, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. She was still beautiful, even more so now that she'd put some meat on her bones. But she was wary, guarded. He couldn't decide if it was towards him specifically or towards the Worthingtons. They were certainly a family that could suck the life out of a person. Maybe she was, as he'd been for so long, disillusioned with the world. Or maybe it was just because she wasn't feeling well. Whatever the reason, the difference in her hadn't changed his reaction to her. Seeing her reawakened something in him, something he thought he'd lost or had died inside him. In the three years since she'd left D.C., his life had sucked. His mother's illness and subsequent death cost him a great deal. The grief had been devastating and ended only when he'd learned not to feel anymore with the help of alcohol and women. But that took a toll on him as well. When you don't care, life has a way of spiraling out of control. It had taken time, but he was finally back on the right path. The point of life still eluded him, but at least he had goals. He had been going to bed and waking up sober for nearly a year, and he was working again. According to his friends, that was the sign of progress. But it wasn't until tonight, until he'd seen Tess that he'd felt anything other than numb in the last three years. He closed the doors to the bookcase and walked to the kitchen. 
It, along with the rest of the house, maintained much of its original charm. He wondered if she'd restored the house, having spent many summers working for his mother's real estate flipping business. He knew a thing or two about home improvement. Whoever had done the house did a good job. All it needed was a decorator. He found a glass in the cupboard and filled it with water from the tap. Leaning against the counter to drink, he noticed a fishbowl. And who are you? He said as he peered at the bluish-red fish swimming in the bowl. The fish paid little attention as it darted through the water. Jack wondered what it was doing. Except for some colored rocks, there was nothing in the bowl to entertain the fish. Too bad you can't talk, he said. I'd like to know if your owner is usually so difficult or is it just me? She couldn't be mad at him. Not still. But wasn't that like a woman to be mad and not let the man explain or even know why she was mad? He put his glass in the sink and made his way back to the living area. As he passed through her dining area, he noticed her iPod sitting by her laptop. What are you listening to these days, Tess? He asked. She'd been an old RB fan when he'd last seen her. He scrolled through her playlist and found that that hadn't changed. Barry White, Chaka Khan, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye. He was more of a rock music kind of guy himself, but was always willing to try out different musical sounds. He clicked on Marvin Gaye to see what song she had. No sexual healing, he said, naming one of the only two songs he knew Marvin had done. She did have Let's Get It On and a song called You Sure Love to Ball. His lips curved upward at the idea that Tess's new cool demeanor covered up the warm, sensual side he'd remembered. Curious, he pulled his earbuds from the iPhone in his pocket and slipped them into her iPod. He clicked on the song as he moved back to the couch. Grabbing the throw blanket folded over the back of the couch, he lay down. The couch and the blanket were too short for his large frame. Adjusting the pillows and putting his feet on the armrest, he settled in to listen to Marvin's smooth voice, asking his lady to turn around so that he could love her. He wondered what it would take to have Tess allow him to love her, not just physically, but emotionally as well. Before he could find out, though, he needed to be upfront with her, which meant coming clean and confessing what he'd done to Asa earlier that night. So that's it for this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope you will be back to find out what happens next. And to make sure that you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget that you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website at jennahart.com. I want to thank you again for listening to Tales from the Heart as well as Deadly Valentine. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.